0: I'm not used to Chad jumping in there, and he scares me every time. (laughs) Uh, Good morning, everybody. I am Glenn Geek from Ocala, Florida.
2: A reminder, that is my husband, a very, very affordable voice guy. Yes, yes. (laughs) Hi, Jamie Jennings in Norman, Oklahoma, and you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for March 27th, episode 2148, brought to you by Horselovers.com. Good morning, Horse World. Guess what day it is, huh? Anybody? Julie, hey, guess what day it is? Oh, come on, I know you can hear me. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? (laughs) Leslie, guess what today is? It's hump day.
3: Woo-woo! Today is Wednesday. Wednesday. Wednesday.
4: Wednesday. Hit it! (laughs) That's right, it's hump day. With your Horses in the Morning hosts, Jamie, that girl Jennings, and Glenn, the Geeky Pony Guy. Wednesday, I... Well, on today's show, in our Horse Health Report,
1: Dr. Tunis comes down to share tips for feeding late-term brood mares, which Jamie knows nothing about whatsoever (laughs) in recent history at all. L.A. screenwriter Gene Rosenberg joins in to keep the -the behind-the-scenes of horsey movie magic going. The folks at Weatherby to chat with us about the lead-up to the Land Rover three-day event, and Glenn brings us... A brand new edition of Crappy List Wednesday, so you don't want to miss any of it. It's going to be a packed show, as always, today, guys. And speaking of today, today is a very special day. Today is Manatee Appreciation Day. And if you want to celebrate, Glenn and I have a great way for you to do that. Just head to podcast.com and look up episode 15B where we went to Crystal River. We swam with manatees, checked out their Manatee Festival. Glenn tasted manatee for the first
2: time. I did no, not. No, but <laughs> You're not allowed to eat manatees. <laughs> but it
0: was a good
1: time.
2: <laughs> a good
0: time.
1: <laughs>
2: oh my God. You just said that.
0: <laughs> you don't eat manatees. And it was fun though. It was fun checking out the manatees.
2: Shameless plug for finding Florida. That was good how you got show.
0: that woven in there. I like that, Jimmy. That That was was not
2: woven in, that that was was dropped like an anvil.
0: (laughs) Perfect, perfect. I loved it. And
2: I'll check out Retired Resource
1: Radio. There you go.
0: (laughs) Now Now (laughs) she's okay with it. See, now it's fine. Yeah. All right, daily winning time. I have a bunch of new auditors I wanted to say thank you to, and they all have wonderful, difficult to say names Kayla Haynes. Abby Schidler, Shid, Shid, Dicky, Jen... I'll
4: be careful on that one. I know.
0: <laughs> Jen. Yeah,
4: you're going to
2: have to edit that out.
0: <laughs> Jen Baladalamenti?
2: Baladalamenti.
0: Baladalamenti? If you oh say it God. fast, it all runs together. Uh Elena, who doesn't have a last name. It's just Elena. And Jennifer Spence. And we want to welcome oh, Elena. She sounds like she would be, doesn't she? Especially the way it's spelled. It's spelled differently, too. So uh, we want to welcome all of you. If you would like to become an auditor, just head over to HorsesInTheMorning.com and click on the auditor banner. And for as little as a dollar a month...
2: Glenn, to butcher your your name name, live on the radio.
0: (laughs) We can do that for you. If you pay $2, I'll mess it up extra special. Hey, we need well, new Winnies. Once you get the new Winnie, we need to. Add oh
2: it to... my god, he's so cute! He's such a demon. Okay, I'll get you a new Winnie. So, um, check this out. You guys, for those who uh, aren't li- haven't been listening for uh, I don't know two episodes, uh, <laughs> I am a vegetarian, <laughs> and I have been one. She does not for eat manatee. Thirty-two years, and so there's a long. Love affair that I have with animals that you people eat. My husband made bacon this morning. I almost threw up. My house stinks. Anyway, There's oh, nothing point like the being, smell of
0: bacon in the morning. Uh, Ugh.
2: Oh, so good. That's the whole. I had uh, that this morning, and
0: uh, <laughs> Jennifer walked in and said, the "House smells so good today." Would you? Cook? This
2: is this is not, story goes <laughs> off the rails. This is not where I was going with my daily winning. <laughs>
0: The oh. wonderful taste of bacon.
2: I t- it's like I said the, the magic word and Glenn just. You goes can't off.
0: mention bacon to anybody that likes meat. That's like the god of all meats.
2: Moving on, <laughs> I would like to give my daily winnie to Mountain Horse Farm in upstate New York. And let me tell you why. Apparently, there is a demand, they say, presumably from city dwellers who have little to no contact with animals in their daily lives. Mountain Horse Farm in upstate New York is getting visitors or getting ready for their upcoming season of Visitors, which offers visitors the opportunity to get up close and personal with their farm cows. Brushing, petting, playing, sharing space, or snuggling up to the cows while they're lying down is what they offer at Mountain Horse Farm. $75 $75 Ooh, yeah. an hour for hanging out with a cow. You can do the wellness, a four day wellness retreat at the farm in September for $1,100. Cow cuddling season, they call it, is officially open from <laughs> May 1st to October 31st. <laughs> you guys are freaking genius. I would like to open up Flyover Farm for geese snuggling. Because I now am the proud owner of two geese um, who will follow you everywhere. And when you sit down, they jump in your lap, which is cute now. But I'm pretty sure when they're like 25 pounds, it's not going to be that cute. We'll see. Uh, (laughs) There's also a farm in Switzerland that has, it's a family dairy farm in Tenneken, Switzerland. They even offer a cattle-themed adventure park where kids age 7 and up can learn about cows in a hands-on format that involves feeding Cleaning and taking them for walks. I want to offer a cleaning stalls uh, (laughs) summer camp here. Yeah, that just sounds like
0: a way to get people to take care of your filthy cows. It's (laughs) It's
1: not not just free
2: help. It's like they pay you to help. This is brilliant. (laughs) I'll even do it for free. (laughs) Y'all can come on over. I'll give you, you know what they say? And the, um, the, the farm is how you form a bond of trust with them. You have to first pet them and clean them and clean up after them. And then you can move to the cuddling. Apparently it is a therapeutic effect of physical touch that researchers have found, and it works on treating depression, anxiety, and ADD and even autism. So I would like to welcome with open arms, all of y'all to my farm here in Oklahoma. Oh, you can even adopt cows and calves. Gosh, it goes on, man. There is a lot of ways these people are making money.
0: This Do you know fantastic. what one of the most dangerous and deadly animals in America is? Uh, Popular science just had an article about this. It's the cow.
2: No, it is not. It is. A deadly
0: it animal. is. Look, it is. Popular science. Are
2: people in India dying left and right from attack cows? <laughs>
0: Apparently, in the United States, they are. Um, yes, they're as deadly as horses. So even in Australia. <laughs>
2: why <do you laughs> farm in Australia you can adopt cows or calves?
0: <laughs> All I know is the cows we had were not very friendly. They really did not want to
2: You know why? Because you didn't clean up after them and brush them and bond with them and then
0: Snuggle. They were a lot like your baby horse. They were a lot like your little colt. <laughs> they would to- chase the you down. Sharks. Yeah,
2: <laughs> they really
0: didn't want to be snuggled. There wasn't snuggling with these cows. I hope they have snuggly cows because uh, otherwise, you know why? Yeah,
2: because they had the psychotherapy within them to understand. That's probably not the right word. They they had the. They knew you ate meat.
0: They knew you they were going to were gonna be them. in the freezer in about two years
2: god i'm glad i don't eat (laughs) by the way my son eating bacon this morning he's like this is so good i'm like ew don't eat that white slimy part and he's like why not i'm like because that's the fat that was on the inside of the cow's belly and he's like i'm not eating that i was like yes
0: (laughs) Interrupting kids one at a time. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, uh, the Dubai World Cup is happening this weekend, and it's got a total. There's now there is six Group One and Group Two races in Dubai. This is like the biggie every year, and the total prize money is thirty five million dollars. God. They have a lot of money to throw around over there in Dubai, and uh, that's for six races. So, it, of course, it's held at the Maiden Racecourse, which, by the way, looks absolutely beautiful. Um, if you're going to see a racecourse at some point in life, if, if you didn't have to go all the way to Dubai, it would be great, but apparently it's just the most out of this world race course
2: everything in dubai is out, out of, of this, this world. world because there's just no <laughs> limit to the money yeah, exactly and that's why we should all be driving electric cars and level the playing field
0: <laughs> well dubai <laughs> world cup winner Thunder Snow will have the opportunity march 30th to win two times in a row so Thunder Snow won last year and is re-entered this year and would be the first one to win two times in a row um And that's a $12 million race, by the way, that uh, the the big one that day is $12 million. There are five United States horses that uh, will take their best shot, including Seeking the Soul. Uh, Trainer Todd Pletcher has Audible. Remember Audible? We've covered Audible before. Uh, Last year's uh, Stephen Foster Handicap winner Pavel, P-A-V-E-L, owned by Reddum Racing. Do you know that one? Yeah. Yeah. And of course, a name we haven't heard in a while, Gunavera, is back. Gunavera is the lone member of the US trained horses without a top level win. If you have no wins, why would you send them to this?
2: Because do you know how much you get for second place? Yeah. Okay. $12 million race.
0: Maybe he's You're good at second okay. place.
2: <laughs> You're going to make bail. <laughs> Look at that. Okay.
0: And of course, the Sheikh has a bunch of horses in and all of that. Uh, but, uh, and there's some from England, I think, and some from Australia that have come up as well. So that's you know all what? happening. Heck, on... I'm getting
2: on a plane. Also, I'll run in it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they haven't offered to pay our way to get press passes for this one for some reason. They could. I'd go over for that. Um, also, you know, we cover the World Equestrian Games here uh, on the Horse Radio Network. We've had shows about it over the years. And with my co host, Samantha, who we hope, to, well, who we'll see at Land Rover, first time I've seen her in a while. And apparently she's doing very well for everybody that's asked. Uh, They are now taking bids at the FEI for the 2022 World Championships. But if you remember right, after the fiasco that was the last WEG, they said, look, we haven't had any bids for anybody to take all the disciplines at once. So we're willing to break them up. We're still going to do the World Championships all in one year, but maybe we'll do them at different locations. Well, they've had 20 countries that have expressed interest in hosting Bits and pieces of those of those different disciplines. Um, they've not publicly revealed the names of those countries, and apparently it's a big secret right now. Uh, but they've opened the bidding process to single and multi-discipline bids, uh, so they're not excluding full games. You can put in an offer to do the full games if you want to. But then they're hoping to whittle this down. They had uh, about seventy delegates there at this conference. This is the first time they've done a conference about it, and actually talked about what's involved to give people an idea of what they're getting into. After the last wag, I think they they figured they better do that, and they're hoping to drop a a short list of candidates by the end of June. So, I mean, it technically could be we have three of the events over here, and there's four over there, and two somewhere else. I mean, it could. be completely separated by oceans, or they could just do it all in the one region if they get enough people in that region. Rumor has it, and this is just a rumor; I have no substantiation that the World Equestrian Center that we've talked about, and remember we had them on not too long ago, talking about Florida, the World yeah. Equestrian Center opening near our house uh, in 2021. Rumor has it that they put an informal bid in to do the wagon 2022. Um, now I don't know, you know, it's hot as hell here in September and, and October even. So I don't know when you do it. You almost have to do it in like February or March uh, to do it in Florida. That would be a tough one. Anyway, it was hot when we were in, uh, in North Carolina and Tryon. So that's open. Uh, it looks like it will happen, but you know, obviously, uh, we won't be covering if it's scattered across the world. Uh, if there is another, I've been asked this too, because the show was so popular, if there is another wag and it's in one place, Samantha and I will be back. So you can look for that. You got some advice on Monday from Monty Roberts, for those that weren't here. Um, your one horse uh, took a little trip in the trailer for the first time, your thoroughbred, and mm. had a little meltdown. And uh, Yeah,
2: I mean, so, so I took Groot on his first field trip. I see all these people. There's a thoroughbred makeover trainers-only Facebook page, and I get so frustrated looking at it because all these people are like, Oh my God, field trip Friday. Okay, we're at a hunter show. My horse is jumping a two six course, and you're like, I hate you because my horse is <laughs> I've been is training trotting him for three weeks.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, you, you're going to see a little bit of everything. But so I, I was like,
4: I, I got to get him out of here.
2: And he's really great here at home, some most of the time. Sometimes he's not. Um, so I put him in the trailer. And he didn't load really well, but I'd practiced loading before, so I got him on, closed him up. I Duke in the front, and my girlfriend was with me, and we drove them 2.2 miles down the road. I got him out of the trailer. It was like flying a kite. He unloaded after a 2.2-mile trailer ride, drenched in sweat, completely lathered. The two miles had almost killed him. <laughs> like, and, you know, I brought him here when I when I moved him here. It was like 30 degrees. So that's probably why he didn't sweat. And so now it's, you know, 50 and he's dying. So anyway, I asked Monty to help me get him sorted out. You know, what is a good way to get him out of here without such stress? And he gave me the advice of like, okay, well, you're going to have to just slow your roll. So, Put him in the trailer, let him eat, back him out, do it 10, 20 times a day. And then basically put him in the trailer, close him up, back him out, do that 20 times. And then put him in the trailer, close him up, and drive him a little bit. And for each time, drive him a little bit further to where the end result is you're home, nothing happened, and you go back to your stall. So I did that. And so I've been loading him. He goes in there, and he gets the sugary senior as opposed to his boring pellet. Um, so he gets a go in there, have a bite, back out, go in there, have a bite, back out, go in there, have a bite back out. I closed him up, did all that, put him in the trailer and I drove him forward. As of yesterday, two days in, I put him in the trailer, closed it up, closed all the partitions, drove him forward about 15 feet, (laughs) reversed it 15 feet, Got him out of the trailer. He was sweaty. (laughs) It's just that. So we're going to go a little bit further today, maybe all the way to the driveway and back because I've got the trailer parked in my arena because why not? Um, So we're going a little bit further, a little bit further. And hopefully today, maybe we might drive out of the driveway. Let's not get crazy, but it might happen.
0: Or every other day, just feed him in there and not drive him anywhere.
2: No, he's fine going in. He walks in, no problem. I it's guess. when you close him up and you start the engine of the car. Uh, it like he gets super panicky. He's fine going in and out, in and out. And then I, I decided I was going to try this with Drax too because he's also a four-year-old thoroughbred. And Drax <laughs> walk right in, no problem. But where Drax has the issue is backing out. Mm, he, I was, I took him too. in. Yeah, no problem. Take him in, and he want is to turn little, around. Uh, no, he didn't want to turn around. He just flew back like. Oh. I mean, one step back was a pew shoot backwards. Mm. And of course, then he like then almost hits his out. head. And yeah. you know, I put head bumpers on them all because, you know, they're babies. Um, so then what, what you do to fix that. Here's a little training tip for you.
0: You get a uh, trailer with a front ramp like we did.
2: No, you don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> don't sell all your stuff and buy new stuff. That is not a great way to figure it out. Take your horse in. If they, That's you know, what Jennifer
0: you, told me was a great thing to do you mean she was lying to me
2: (laughs) (laughs) she she got herself a new trailer hello um so take your horse up to the trailer and load them one step the horses don't know how to back off trailers they have no idea load them up one step they put one foot in oh stop good job give them a rub you're the best pony in the world back off load them up one step off one foot in one foot i like the hokey pokey right foot in right foot up right foot in right foot off right foot in okay that's no problem right and left front feet in back off front feet, back off front feet, back off front feet, back off three feet, one, two, three, back off. One, two, three, back off. One, two, three, back off. And then four back off Four, back off Four, back off and then four all the way in back off a little further. Everything should be very gradual. I'm not kidding you. This horse like loads and unloads. Perfect. So just doing that just takes time, takes patience, takes homework, takes work ethic. And y'all can do it. Just figure out a way to think about, think about this. You don't start climbing the ladder from midway up and go to the top. You start climbing the ladder at the very bottom first rung. And so you got to think about how can I make this the lowest rung of the ladder? You don't take a horse that can it up to a three foot fence and expect it to jump it. What do you do? You trot him, or you walk him over a pole on the ground and then it gets higher and higher and higher each time. So think about that. Or, do it, Glenn. Glenn. Your wife was very <laughs> correct in buying a brand new trailer. <laughs> it's
0: by the way. Sucker. I don't know why all trailers aren't made with front ramps. To be honest, it's so nice.
2: Ducker. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I have a crappy list for you, and uh, Jemmy can play along for a couple minutes too before you call your guest. Um, a friend of mine, Eva, uh, posted this on Facebook. What a list? What you remember from childhood that a younger person won't get? So I'm, what, 20 years older than you guys? No, 15 years older than you guys. So I will remember some Jimmy, of these. are we,
2: are we, are we, Jimmy and I are close to the same age? Yeah, I think so. I think you are. I think so-ish. Yeah, yeah. I'll be 40 this year. Okay, 41. Gotcha. Okay, so. Um, you're young. You're I want to see baby.
0: which one of these you remember, because I kind of remember I'm almost all 30s, of
1: them. i in my 30s, dang it. <laughs> <laughs> <like>, Hold it on. <laughs>
0: How about, uh, so this is some of the answers she got from pe- her friends. Sitting at the table with the family to eat every night. We did that every night. But I don't know many families that do that anymore. Did we you? did
2: not you do did that not? because okay. my father was very, very annoying um, <laughs> to eat with. <laughs> and that's, this is honest, got truth. to Ask my mama. Uh, he was incredibly frustrating to be with. So my mom would feed just us kids and but we never had family. I think twice in my life we did and us kids were like, we're not doing that anymore. Um however I make my child sit down with us now. So that but there's only three of us. So it's not like crazy schedules and all that.
0: Jemmy, did you guys have we
2: never sat
1: down we, we sat down all the time as a family for, for dinner. And then and I have I have memories of that around a dining table. Then I have memories of us sitting down when TV dinners became a thing. You <laughs> <We laughs> sit down literally in front of the TV. Yes. And now my son and I, we still sit down in front of the t- around the table, but it's the coffee table still <laughs> in front coffee. of the TV.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've eaten at your house. I know how that goes. So uh, we do the same thing. We eat in front of the TV. We, I think the kitchen table gets used when we have company. And that's it. That's the only time. Um, getting up to change the channel or the volume on the TV set. And the youngest kid was always told to do that. They were always the one in charge yeah. of that. Do you I guys remember that?
2: that yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, Absolutely. only three.
1: I, well, I used to love the click of the dial though, that was nice, yep. that was
0: satisfying. <laughs> that click. The three channels because you didn't have to turn too far because that's all you got was three channels. That was <laughs> <laughs>
2: you ate that. Yeah.
0: And how many times did you sit there as a kid and go back and forth, back and forth, hoping it would change that something better? Oh, the
2: ears. <laughs> the <In> the, ears. <laughs> yeah, get some tinfoil, get some, honey, get some tinfoil. Bring it in here. I need it for the TV. (laughs) (laughs) No, actually, my parents were like my dad. That aforementioned frustrating to sit down with. He ate in front of the TV every night, so he paid for like the beginning of cable, which gave you like twelve channels.
0: Oh, you (laughs) were (laughs) you were lived in the city too. You didn't get that in the country. Uh, (laughs) You didn't get that in the country for a very long time. How about HR Puffin stuff? No. Oh, Oh no. So. So, uh, so the, the person that wrote this wrote H.R. Puff and Stuff, and in parentheses put, also known as my first acid trip, um, which was pretty much true of H.R. <laughs> Puff and Stuff. That's
2: probably why I didn't watch it, because it made my parents flashback.
0: Probably <laughs> how I was called, H.R. Puff and Stuff. Stuff, yeah. <laughs> Look that one up sometimes, kids. Um, having to get to the ba- this is I wrote this one on hers. Having to get to the bank before it closed on Friday, before the weekend, to get cash out. Because yes. if you didn't get ca- you didn't get cash out on Friday, you were screwed. There were no ATMs.
2: Yes, need <laughs> to fill yes. out that.
1: Desk. Actually, I remember Withdrawal. Yep, yeah. <laughs> I remember when Publix started having ATMs around. I don't know if they have if you know if they have Publix anywhere near where you. <laughs> I uh, totally a florida grocery store but when public started having atms it was like the best thing ever because then you could get cash on the weekend and they didn't charge a real uh big fee it was night nice. that was that's the first right. time yeah that's right
0: uh party lines we actually now that's on your telephone people and what party happened lines. was we had oh, we lived on a street where there when, when we first moved there, and that was in the 1960s, I wasn't even born yet, they had five people on the same phone. So what happened is that phone that was on the wall hooked to the cord, there were five of your neighbors that were hooked to the same telephone number. And what would happen was um, if your tele, you had your own telephone number, but they were all hooked to the same line, so you could pick up and listen to your neighbors talk on the phone. But when it rang, you had one ring was one house Two rings was another house. Three rings was another house. So it would be annoying when you wanted to call your friends or something. You'd pick up the phone and there'd be somebody on it, and you'd have to keep checking. There was no way you knew.
2: When, did you grow up with like when Lassie? That was into the nineteen. That was into the nineteen
0: seventies, where I grew up in Pennsylvania. That they had party Lance lines. One
2: hundred and twenty-seven <laughs> years old. This is amazing. He never had a fridge. He had an ice box. <laughs> he had to like cover it in shape, sawdust to keep the ice thing from melting. Party God.
0: lines. We. I think in the nineteen seventies, when I was in like junior high, we finally got our first private line. Was his amazing. shoes
2: were like suede that was tied around his whole foot.
0: and It was a big deal when they started making the, tele- the those little cor- uh, curled cords for your phone that went further than two feet from the phone. When they And then we, we bought the one that was like 25 feet long, and that was cool because you had to sit down and talk on the phone. And everyone's tripping over it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, All right, one more before we uh, – J- J- Jimmy has to get our guest on the line. Romper Room. Do you guys nope. remember No? You don't remember nope. Romper Room? Neither one of you? I am nope. old. Okay, how about <laughs> ha, how you about how about eight-track tapes? You gotta remember what? eight-track
4: tapes.
2: My daddy had a big old pickup truck and he had eight track tapes in the floor of them, but usually they wouldn't go all the way in because they had some sort of spit tobacco on top of them.
0: (laughs) Or they had gunk or if there was dirt, they never worked well. They never, and they sounded awful. They sounded, you thought cassettes sounded bad. They sounded awful. And they were huge. Yeah. 8-track tapes. Glad they went away. All right. If we have time later in the show, there's some more of these that I think that I think you'll enjoy going down memory lane. And apparently, I'm the only one that remembers some of these.
2: Because <laughs> <laughs> <So>. you're 147 <laughs> years old. You look good for your age. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Let's talk about uh, horselovers.com before we get to our first guest and talk health. Uh, right now, they have some noble outfitters. They have the Balance riding tights for 34 bucks. Now that is marked down because they're usually, if I remember right, 75 bucks or 100 bucks. So they are marked down a whole bunch. And the balanced riding tights, you'll know them because they do come in very bright colors. Uh, Noble Outfitters makes some great products, and uh, that's just one of the many things that they have on sale right now. They also have a, a, a thing where you can sign up. You know how they always have their enter-to-win contests over there? Well, right now it is a Wintech Bridle, Weber's, and two saddle cleaners, uh valued at $125. So you can sign up to win that now. And their uh, their deal of the day, um is a whole bunch of different stuff from hug blankets at 60% off. They have gifts on sale. They have back on track stuff on sale. So head on over there right now. They have back on track sheets right now, marked down about 30%. So Can I make a
2: confession? Yeah. Now that Chad's not in the house, I'm yeah. sure he's not listening. Um, I was listening to Heels Down at Happy Hour, and they were talking about how people sometimes get online and buy things when they've had a little... Oh, yeah. They were talking about wine. drunk buying. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Horse lovers, just so you guys know, had a deal of like $20 fly sheets. I was like, oh my God. Every one of my horse needs one of these.
0: And uh, how many bottles of wine were you in at that point?
2: Ah, <laughs> uh, it doesn't matter, Glenn. I just thought I, I and I since then I'm you like, can't let really an open happens. bottle.
0: It goes it bad was
2: over the weekend and I was like, Yeah, I, you know, I was like, I can't can I can I did that happen? And I like went back, yeah, it happened. And so <laughs> surely every one of my horses is gonna get a brand new fly sheet, which by the way, they're all different sizes and exactly the same color.
0: <laughs> oh good, that'll be <laughs> yeah. great. That's horse husband's nightmare right there
2: oh god <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: good time <laughs> yeah and uh did, did, did were, were you the only one that was drunk buying from horse lovers or were there others uh i didn't well hear in episode. my house it was just me i don't know about <laughs> other people but anybody else out there uh, maybe have a little and then buy things let and us these know these tights
2: are really cute and right now i'm like that's not like it's not sensible i have so many riding tights but tonight
0: might be the best story do you oh no i'm not going to ask you that question on the air we'll let that one go horse lovers
2: i I gotta hear it i can choose not to answer but i gotta hear the
0: question (laughs) not with dr thunes on the line here we're not gonna Um, answer that one all right let's go to our guest Uh, let me do this first horselovers.com
4: it's time for the horses in the morning horse health report when our intrepid hosts, together with an unlucky member of the equine veterinary trade, attempt to inform, enlighten, or terrify horse owners everywhere into funding a Kickstarter campaign to mass-produce Kevlar-coated, wrap lined equine products.
2: All right, we've got Dr. Tunis on the line. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us.
3: You're welcome. Great to be here. I'm chuckling from your little... uh sort of gap filler there I love the idea well, of Kevlar bubble wrap <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes well uh, yeah we're getting towards that. uh
3: yeah we're coming towards the Kentucky three-day uh, time so I always think of this time of year with all my eventing clients are all begging for Kevlar bubble wrap
0: <laughs> I bet yeah
2: <laughs>
3: where where in the world are you I'm in Gilbert Arizona
2: Oh, my gosh. I just moved out of Arizona here in Oklahoma, and I miss it. How, was it just the best winter ever?
3: Actually, apparently it was the coldest one. We just moved here last August. Um, I lived here briefly about 13 years ago, but all the locals tell me this past winter was one of the colder, wetter winters anyone can remember, but it was just fine with me. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, t-
2: tell them to move anywhere else in the country. <laughs> and they'll see what it's like. Right. I well, mean, you know, I was watching – what Yeah. Well, it's that time of year, too, also with the, the Land Rover Kentucky Three Day event coming up. Um, we It's also breeding time. I just had a foal here a week ago, week and a half ago. And this is something that you definitely have to reconsider and definitely think about and make a plan is what to feed your broodmare. Late term is what your article was about, but also I want to know about feeding mares that have a foal by their side. So let's talk a little bit Mm -hmm. about calories and nutrients and things like that.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, I, I see a lot of mares that are, um, not really fed adequately during lactation. Um, I think there's a bit of a misconception sometimes that, oh, you know, when she's pregnant, she's eating for two, you know, she needs a lot of feed. Um, And in fact, in reality, um, they don't need that much more feed while they're pregnant um, than uh, the same mare, maybe doing light work. But when she's lactating, um, you know, if you were to take that mare and put her into intense race training at the racetrack, um, her protein requirements when she's lactating are higher than they would be if she was in intense training at the track and her calorie requirement isn't far behind. And, you know, when I tell people that they're sort of shocked because I think we think of racehorses at the track as sort of being our supreme elite athletes and everyone's like, oh yeah, they need a lot of groceries. Um, but they don't have that same thinking for lactating brood mares. Um, and obviously it depends on the individual mare and, you know, what breed she is. I mean, I have a number of clients that breed the Andalusian PRE horses and, you know, they're quite easy keepers and quite honestly can go through a lactation on, on a good quality hay and a ration balancer. Um, But if you've got, you know, some of the more thoroughbredy type warm bloods or thoroughbred brood mares, those mares definitely need, you know, more groceries, both while they're pregnant and definitely while they're lactating. So there's definitely individual horse differences. And it also depends on, you know, is this a one-time brood mare? Is this your mare that you just really wanted to fall? So, you know, she's a maiden mare, you've bred her for the first time, or is she a brood mare for a living? And this is her fifth fall, and you're going to breed her back. And um, those mares also may need more groceries than that one-time maiden mare.
2: So why Mm -hmm, is that... Yeah, why is that... Why would that be if they get... It's their fifth baby versus their first baby. What's the difference? Well, it's not so much that the demands are different,
3: but... You know, if you haven't kept up with them while they're lactating and, you know, they're going to produce milk and feed that foal, you know, whether you give them the groceries or not. Um, and so they're going to use all their body reserves to produce that milk. So they're going to use stored body fat, hopefully stored body fat only. But if you're really underfeeding them, they're going to start building muscle, you know, burning muscle mass as well. Um and then, you know, you come out of lactation and you've already bred them back. So they're already five, six months pregnant and you're about to do the whole cycle again. And if it's kind of difficult to get weight back on that mare, you know, once she's in the later stages of pregnancy, because at that point her body is sort of primed to send all those nutrients back to the foal that's in utero so you're always playing catch up so you know by the time you get several folds in if your nutrition program hasn't been where it's supposed to be um you know i speak to breeders who are like oh yeah you know every third or fourth year i just you know i can't The you don't get bread and i just give her a year off um and then she comes back again and i can breed her." well part of that may be that you know she's just sort of got to the point where she's depleted all of her body reserves and she needs a year to catch up um and you could, you know, potentially avoid getting there if you stayed on top of her nutrition the whole time um, she was pregnant and and lactating in those previous pregnancies, if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. And I do think that in some, you know, again, the, the broodmare is sort of the, the second citizen in a lot of breeding programs, right? It's all about the stallion and all about the foal. Um, and the mare is just a vehicle to get you the foal. And and, um, and so I see a lot of brood mares that actually don't really, you know, sort of, well, I would say, career brood mares that, you know, not, you know not, not that much attention is necessarily put on their nutrition. Um, they're, they're sort of, you know, crazy they, just, they
2: do the job, they produce the, the foal. They're the right. vehicle for the baby that is the, you know, your dream come true. Absolutely. So uh, I, I like to think right. of it like this, Dr. Fitness. I had a child. I don't know if you're a mother or not. I think you are because I think I you have am. to get your kids to school. Mm-hmm. Okay. They tell you when <laughs> you're breastfeeding that the weight is just going to melt off. Uh, just you're going to just the weight is going to melt off when you're breastfeeding. Here's this. here's the, the lie that they tell you, because the problem is when you're breastfeeding, you
4: are. Hungry.
2: Like I could not vacuum in enough food that to keep myself from being starving because this little leech of a human is like sucking my life force out of me. Yeah. (laughs) That's true. And it's
3: a bit of a shock when you stop breastfeeding. (laughs) Yeah, and, like, and you suddenly realize, well, dang it, I can't eat all that
2: stuff. Yeah, we were like, wait a second, I thought it was supposed to just melt right off. Lies they tell you when you're having children. <laughs> well, I, this is fascinating. <laughs> yeah, sure. You you did write a horse uh, an article for thehorse.com. dot com. Now, one more thing before I know you've got to go and get your kids to school. Talk to us about vitamin E. How do we make sure our foals are getting enough vitamin or mare's are?
3: Yeah, I mean that is important. Um, and just so going back to feeding the broodmare, um, you're you're dead right. I mean, feeding the broodmare it's super important for your foal, right? I mean, it it is the it sets your foal up for life, right? So we know that um, you know mares that are fed unbalanced or deficient diets in their last trimester that aren't getting adequate trace minerals, you know, those foals may be um, at higher risk for things like OCD and joint conditions so making sure that mare has a balanced trace mineral profile in her diet during those last trimesters when that foal is creating a lot of collagen and bone matrix and and the like um, is really important um, and as you say vitamin e is really important because that does transfer to the foal um, through milk after the foal is born and so making sure your mares have adequate vitamin E that last trimester, certainly that last month where they're building colostrum is really important. And then um, making sure that the foal has enough vitamin E, definitely going into the weaning period. Um, and so I would recommend that um, you know breeders really talk to their veterinarian about, you know, potentially taking some blood work from the mare um, towards the end of pregnancy to make sure vitamin E is where it needs to be. And also from the foal. Um, you know, before weaning to make sure where that foal is. And we know in certain horses, there are, there's a, a neurological condition called neuronal axonal dystrophy, NAD, that um, we see um, in some horses that appears to be linked to it's, it's, it. I think it's genetic, but you have to have that trigger to turn sort of the switch on. And that trigger is, you know, being deficient at vitamin E at the right period in time. Um, and it seems to be, you know, when horses are young. So um, obviously they have to have that pre there's a genetic predisposition for it. But horses that are fed adequate vitamin E that have the, the genetic predisposition don't end up displaying the condition, is my understanding. Whereas if they have the genetic predisposition and they're fed a diet that's deficient in vitamin E, then that can trigger that gene and you can end up with this neurological issue. So vitamin E really is important. And, you know, for a lot of horses that are fed, I mean, any horse, I don't care whether their are broodmares, foals or not, but, you know, any horse that's fed basically a hay-based diet is likely to be low in vitamin E because it's not heat-stable. And so it doesn't, um, there's, a, there's a lot of naturally occurring vitamin E in fresh pasture grass, but it's not heat-stable. So when you make hay, you lose a lot of your vitamin E. <clears throat> and so you need to be adding an additional source of vitamin E into your ration. A lot of, you know, good quality commercial feeds have vitamin E in them, but that may not be enough depending on the individual horse. Um, you know, there's some very interesting work done by Dr. Fino at UC Davis looking at vitamin E status in different horses. And, you know, they've really shown that even when you're feeding enough vitamin E on paper to meet requirement, you can still have a horse that's deficient in vitamin E. And um So you may need to be supplementing above and beyond what your horse is getting in their feed. Um, And the only way you can really tell if you need to be doing that is to do blood work. Um, So I'm a big proponent in, um, you know, doing the blood work in all horses and making sure they're getting adequate vitamin E because it does have... Performance implications. When I've really seen horses blossom when they have adequate vitamin E, better muscle development, better performance, recovery. Obviously, you know a lowered risk of some of these um, neuromuscular conditions that have vitamin E components to them. So, um, I think it's really important in all horses, but yes, definitely in broodmares and foals as well.
2: All right. Well, Dr. Tunis, people can see your article on thehorse.com. Do you have a website or anything where people can get a hold of you?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can find me at summit s u m m i t hyphen
2: equine dot com. Summit equine dot com. Now I know you got to get those kids to school, so you better go.
3: I've got I've got a few minutes, but yeah,
2: <laughs> <laughs> just in time for them to get sure their, shoes their- on. Stuff. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Shoes make sure they, they on their shoes. Thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it, and we'll talk to you again soon. You're very welcome. All right,
3: thanks for having me. I'd love to come back. Have a great day.
2: Okay. Bye
3: bye. Bye.
0: We're going to take a break for our uh, sponsor from Ovation, and then we're going to come back and we're going to continue with what's turned into Screenwriter Month here on the show, and we'll be right back.
4: Horse people know that they can count on Ovation's value, quality, and style when it comes to hard wearing schooling attire, affordable show gear for horse and rider. Or top of the line equipment for riders at every level, from breeches to bridle work, saddles to stock ties, helmets to half chaps. Ovation is the premier brand of riding apparel and equipment for you and your horse in the United States, outfitting riders at every level from head to toe. Ask for Ovation brand riding helmets, breeches, and footwear at your local tax store. Or go online to OvationRiding.com and see the fantastic variety of quality, fashion-forward, affordable products from Ovation. OvationRiding.com
0: Well, a couple of weeks ago, we brought you a great interview with screenwriter John Fusco. And today we speak with Gene Rosenberg, screenwriter of many movies in the horse world is familiar with, especially The Black Stallion, The Young Black Stallion, Running Free, and many others. Good morning, Gene. How are you? Good morning. I'm fine. Thanks. Thanks for joining us today. Now, before we get to your work, you're a horse person, too. From what I read, you got some quarter horses, right?
5: That's true. I'm a rainer. Oh, really? Wow. Do you compete? Yeah. I do compete, yes. Wow. Wow. I've been for years.
0: And you started riding when you were young, right?
5: I did, but I was a little kid. I had a a a 17-and-a-half-hand-high American saddlebred horse that I could walk underneath standing straight up. Didn't even have to duck. (laughs) Also had a couple of older sisters that uh, rode with me, so that helped. And did you
0: compete from a young age, or were you just horse-crazy kid riding around uh, doing things you weren't supposed to?
5: Horse-crazy kid riding around uh, the Midwest doing, yeah, things I wasn't (laughs) supposed to. Exactly. exactly.
0: (laughs) You know, you could get away with more of those things back then than you can now.
5: Yes. (laughs) Yes, it was, it was, it seemed safer, and uh, it was fun, and right, we were given uh, a loose line to go run.
0: And let's face it, I I think I'm I'm close to your age. Parents didn't care as much, I don't think, back then. They sent you out, and as long as you came back alive, that's all they cared. Um, Right,
5: (laughs) right, right. (laughs) There were the same fears.
0: Uh,
5: So, uh, yeah, we had a lot of freedom.
0: So what when you were growing up as a horse-crazy kid, most horse-crazy kids want to end up doing something with horses when they grow up. Was that your dream, or did you want to do something else?
5: No, it never occurred to me that you could do something with horses uh, as a kid. Um, it just wasn't part of uh, a kind of knowledge world that I had. Um, I knew they were probably always in my life, um, but no, it didn't, it didn't seem like a future, <laughs> in terms of jobs and career,
0: what did you want to do? And and we'll talk about what you ended up doing. But what did you want to do
5: <laughs> at that age? Yeah. I have no idea. Yeah. Um, I think when 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 I went off to college, I thought I wanted to be a clinical psychologist, um, uh, and that's sort of the direction I was heading in. But um, I was introduced to this amazing world of European cinema that was so emotional and uh, the storytelling was so rich. Uh, it just kind of grabbed me.
0: So why European cinema as opposed to, well,
5: America? I, I, I had, well, I always liked going to the movies. I was a big fan of the Westerns, of course. So we went, uh, as a little kid, you know, we'd go Saturday afternoons and eat popcorn and, Fantasize about riding around in the West, the Old West. Um, but in college, a physics professor, this was a passion of his, and he just started a film club and introduced us to all of these foreign movies that I had never experienced before
0: and you know of, of course you, you know we have to talk about the black stallion cuz you're on a show with that's only listened to by horse people right so okay uh, <laughs> yes. yeah and uh-huh. i read the story is fascinating i just found this absolutely fascinating about how mm-hmm. you ended up being one of the screenwriters on that can you kind of give us the yes. the story of that cuz it's just fascinating
5: well i can yeah as a as a kid um i bumped into the black stallion and uh, just dove all the way into the bottom of it this was i just loved it it was so wonderful i read all of the books had no idea that there was a whole world out there of other kids horse craze kids and and other kids uh, also reading these books but the black stallion was so magical when i wound up in film school uh graduate school um for a class i was a documentary filmmaker then i thought for a script analysis class that I didn't want to take because I so knew that I was never going to be a writer. So what was the point? <laughs> I reread my favorite childhood book, uh, did the analysis, fell in love with it all over again. Just in a script analysis, you basically read material and you do a synopsis and you give the reasons why you think it would or wouldn't make a great film. And this was just such a perfect movie as far as I could see. Um at any rate, the script analysis was um, was well read. The professor liked it a lot. Um, I got out of school, got a grant to do a wild horse uh, film about the first BLM wild horse roundup. Did that. Learned that uh, Carol Ballard uh, was making the Black Stallion. That Francis Coppola was producing. I knew Carol Ballard's short films. They had been absolutely brilliant. Uh, He did one called Rodeo, he did one called Harvest, one about a cat called Priscilla that was all from the cat's point of view. Um, I wrote Carol a letter, I sent him the script analysis, I thought, why not? Um, And I got a call. And it was Carol Ballard, the director of this movie, saying, I read what you wrote, I really liked it, we'll have to get together. Time passes. I don't hear from him. I call again. They're in pre-production. They're in Canada. I reach him. He's apologizing. It's just got crazy. He says, no time. I said, well, I'm sort of coming that way. Do you mind if I drop in? And I can sort of picture this guy I've never met sort of backing up 15 (laughs) steps. And then he says, well, uh, yeah, uh, okay. And so I do. I'm going to my hometown of Peoria, Illinois. They're up in Vancouver. So it was sort of on the way. I drop in, I spend three days, I meet Carol, I meet the horse, I meet this army of people who are waiting for a screenplay that Carol has never committed to. Um, Wait a minute, wait a minute, let's
0: stop you there. So you show up, they have everybody there to film a movie, but there's no script?
5: Exactly. Well, there had (laughs) been a few scripts, but Carol wouldn't commit to any of them. So we have location managers saying, what locations am I getting? We have actors who've been hired, the parts have never been written for, uh, production designers, everyone was completely nuts because this isn't the way you make a movie. <laughs> no, and it cost a fortune um, to hang around just
0: sitting there doing nothing, too, right?
5: So, so you can imagine how nervous everyone was at, at, tense <laughs> at that point. Um, I was in heaven. It was just thrilling. The horse was magnificent. Uh, at one point, I'm supposed to meet Carol for coffee in the morning. I'm making a few notes on a napkin. He comes in, kind of yanks the napkin out of my hand. And I'm saying, just make it a Carol Ballard film. It's so perfect. It's a love story. The boy and the horse, it's just going to be gorgeous. Um, and I went home, thrilled, with the uh, army of nervous people behind me. But I get another call, Carol wants you to come back and you do that. And so I did. I I packed up, I came back, I meet Melissa Matheson getting off another plane, Francis Coppola had sent her, and we became this uh, script writing team. We were writing often on the set, moments before the cameras rolled, kind of ripping off pages and handing them to Mickey Rooney. (laughs) Isn't this an actor's nightmare,
0: by the way, right Uh, here? Oh, yes.
5: (laughs) Oh, everyone's nightmare. It was, uh, (laughs) but it was, it was also almost everyone's, I mean, first feature, Carol's first feature, Caleb Deschanel, who was just nominated for an Academy Award in Cinematography, his first feature. um, So everyone was feeling their way a little bit. Um, how was Mickey to work with? Out.
0: Because he had been around for quite a while by this point.
5: <laughs> quite a while, yeah. and knew you know had obviously been involved in the uh, Great Horse Story. Knew the track. Uh, he hated us at first, I think, <laughs> uh, and I can understand that as we're shoving pages and you know under his nose. He was anxious about um, about Kelly Reno, who was the, the little kid at that point, because um, he knew how kids can steal scenes. I'm sure. <laughs> but um, he grew, t- I think, to like all of us. And he was quite wonderful and and willing to share his track stories. Um, so that was kind of fun. It was fun to see the turnaround.
2: So in um, that movie, in the Black Stallion movie, obviously mm-hmm. the most iconic scene is where he's frolicking with the black on the beach. And it's just so, right. so beautiful. Mm-hmm. How much of that was just there. how much of it was written? What parts of the, the script were not scripted?
5: Well, the whole island sequence, there were parts of it that were scripted that you don't see. Some more story points um, that, that were in the Walter Farley novel um, that there just wasn't time to do. But this is the kind of movie that Carol Ballard makes. Um, highly visual, highly emotional, Um He was very hesitant to let us kind of write that material. So we would write outline after outline and pages after pages and sort of shove them at him. And we knew he was reading them, even though he would be kind of grumpy and grumbly about it. Um, But he knew what he wanted. He, in, in casting the horse, Castellay and the, the trainer, Corky Randall. I mean, you knew you were going to get some amazing performances and then Carol wanted also a feistier horse than Castellet, who was a big, bold, handsome, kind stallion. And Carol wanted more fire. And so he also hired a, a kind of young, feisty Arab who was not black at all and had to be sort of dyed and sprayed <laughs> kind of every day. What? But,
2: Are you serious? <laughs>
5: I'm serious. There are also a lot of sorrel horses in the movie that did some of the stunts, jumping over a car, and a lot of the stuff on the track were sorrel horses that had to be um, painted. sprayed to look black.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh, I have but to go was... and watch this movie and find those horses.
3: <laughs> yeah,
5: yeah, look for them. Look for them. <laughs> you're, you'll find them.
2: <laughs> Unbelievable. So Isn't that funny?
5: So, so, yeah. um, so
2: thank God yeah. they used a black one on the beach scenes, because otherwise <laughs> they'd be like... Crap!
5: <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Well, Casale was a big, black, absolutely gorgeous, <clears throat> stunning horse. Uh, as I say, so kind. And when you see the scene with the boy and the horse come together over the piece of seaweed, I mean that's Casale with his his big, glorious head, and and they bonded really well. Uh, Corky had uh, you know took some of Kelly Reno's clothes and gave him, put him in the stall with Casale, and had the boy and the horse hang out together a lot. Um, and the kid was just such a trooper. He would just jump on and go galloping down the beach and fall off and get on again and <laughs> wow. again. There were there were different days when you when kids could take more risks in movies than they do now.
0: Yeah. You would have 25 people watching that now for the horse uh, and no, the kid. You'd, yeah, You would
2: have a, yeah. a, a, an adult portraying the child, and you'd have to shoot it from the back and then right. galloping off. Like, why does that guy right. have facial hair? He's right. supposed
5: to be eight. <laughs> right. You would never let an eight-year-old kid climb on this uh, this horse bareback and bridle us and go galloping down the beach. So— I'd, I'd, don't see that happening.
0: So how long, I mean, this movie has obviously become iconic, especially in the horse world, right? Um, how long did uh-huh. it take to film?
5: Well, it was years, really, because um, the studio was, had really. they were ignoring the movie. They really weren't paying much attention. They were very distracted by Francis Coppola's uh, Apocalypse Now, which mm. was running way over budget. And this was more just a sort of gift to him. He wanted to make this black stallion movie for his friend Carol, so okay, they weren't really watching. Uh, so Carol shot just just miles of film. Really, uh, would come back and edit, and then we shot again uh, in in New York and in California. Um, but the island stuff, uh, all of that, uh, and the stuff we did in Canada, that was pretty concentrated, and that was about oh, I can't remember two a couple of two or three months maybe kind of all told with the travel and, and everything. Then a lot of editing and then a lot of the racetrack stuff was shot back here, stateside.
2: And, and and Terry Garr and Mickey Rooney. I mean, these are like Hoyt accent. These are mm -hmm. really, really people, uh, actors that their career has just spanned decades really. And you were kind of at the beginning of it for a lot of it. And uh, it's just really, Mm -hmm. really exciting. How much did this movie change your life?
5: Changed my life? Well, it it totally changed the directions. I was saying earlier, I, I had never really wanted to be a writer. I wanted to make documentary films in a kind of very different vein, but I was swept up in the magic and came back and decided, well, I paid no attention in film school, so now I have to learn about narrative filmmaking. <laughs> I became a script supervisor and worked on all these early Roger Corman kind of horror movies, but that have also become iconic, Piranha and Rock and Roll High School and... I met the Ramones. I, maybe this audience isn't familiar with all of these names, but um, in, the, in the film world and in certain circles, these are iconic movies too. Oh, so yeah. I got my education that way and then uh, have been you know, kind of a screenwriter since. Well, you you also
2: dated, yeah. Don't make me sing. I'll do it.
0: You also had a a co-writer, Melissa Matheson, on the Black Stallion. And there's an interesting side note to this: apparently, a big fan of the Black Stallion was Steven Spielberg, and Uh it was uh, Steven then hired a certain somebody to write the one of the most iconic movies of all time, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's
5: right. And he couldn't have picked a better, more perfect person to do this. Melissa was such a wonderful storyteller and had such a huge heart. And she brought all of that to E.T., the movie that we're talking about. Yeah. Um, and I think it was such a good match with Stephen, who hadn't shown that kind of emotion before. Um, but it it kind of was able to open up that door in that movie. Um, And uh, boy, I, I, Melissa just did a wonderful job and he did too. um, Another amazing movie and that. I think those two movies really helped change what films were about, family films um, and films for kids. Um, They they just hadn't kind of been that, that rich, that big before. (laughs)
0: That is amazing. So what with all of your experience with horses, do you have a desire to do more in the horse uh, film <laughs> genre?
5: Yes, uh, yes. Actually, uh, I should mention Fred Roos, who was a producer um, on The Black Stallion and who had started his life as a casting director. So the great cast that you were talking about in this movie, um, you really have to tip your hat to Fred for that. Uh, And Fred has been a Black Stallion fan ever since as well. So we did The Young Black Stallion together, which had been a book that Walter Farley was writing um, at the end of his life. Um, He died before it was completed, and his son Stephen wrote it with him and finished it. Um, It's a kind of really interesting book, and uh, we had the idea to try to do it in IMAX, which in those days was really complicated and hard. The cameras weighed, I don't know, what 50 pounds, and you had to have multiple cameras out there. It looked spectacular, but there were all these rules, like uh, no close-ups, and people won't be able to sit through an IMAX movie for more than 45 minutes. Um, and many other rules that have just flown out the window. So we followed those in the making um, of of that movie. Uh, at any rate. To answer your question, yes, we, so Fred and his son, Alexander Ruth, and I are uh, busy doing um, a kind of updated modern day um, black stallion story. Um, that that uh, we'll we'll see what happens. Like we're, remaking we're the Black
2: Stallion movie? No, it's
5: not remaking. I don't know how much I'm at liberty to kind of talk about. but <laughs> You're at liberty to talk about. Nobody listens. It. Nobody's listening. Oh, it's just us. Oh, okay, fine. Oh, <laughs> okay, fine. Well, uh, it's it's um it's it's kind of set uh, in today's times, and a character that we're very familiar with um, is is in this movie, aged, uh, but uh, in this movie, uh, um, and, and a glorious horse, um, and uh, a very interesting race across the Mongol steppes. And I think that's probably all I can say. <laughs> and they
0: brought back Mickey Rooney. Uh,
5: <laughs> <laughs> that would be
2: something. <laughs> well, that sounds amazing. Very cool. Yeah. The, the stories uh, that come out of there to tell her pretty awesome yeah so. we
0: we follow we actually yeah. we actually do coverage of the mongol derby every year here on the, on the, uh, the horse Radio well, that Network. was
5: the that was the inspiration kind of uh of this story
0: well um, yeah a- actually jamie Very signed particular. up for the mongol derby two years ago and they wouldn't take her because yeah. she had just had a kid so they wouldn't take her because <laughs> uh, they didn't want her to die uh, and leave her kid ch- you know
2: I got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I got it.
5: Yeah. But, so, I mean, let's okay.
2: be honest. I didn't really hard sell myself in the applications.
5: Okay. <laughs> you said, well, I sort of like to do this, but uh, if it's not okay,
0: that's okay. <laughs>
2: like, why? Uh, why are you signing up? I don't
0: know so we instead talked <laughs> oh, okay. to one of our co-hosts into it and she has never forgiven us since the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. So,
2: listen this is fascinating stuff please come back on when you have your next movie and 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 we can't go to it.
3: we
0: can't go yet we have a special uh, request from oh. our producer Jemmy who you talked to and she is a huge <laughs> John Williams fan and she knows John Williams did the music for ET and everything and she wants to know if you ever met John Williams
5: Ah, oh well, how disappointing! I have not met. Uh, I am also a big fan, of course. How could one not be? Yeah. Um, But if I do ever, I will pass on uh, this information. His phone number would be great. Yeah, that's (laughs) so elusive. I just, I gotta,
1: I gotta get one degree closer. (laughs) Uh, Well,
5: yeah. (laughs) Knock on his door. That's worked for oh, me. Yeah, right. <laughs> Apparently know where it does. Liz, right, Jimmy,
2: well, then... So we'll, 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 we'll get you hooked up. <laughs> okay. Thank, thank you. Thank, thanks a fun. bunch. Thanks, Gene. Thanks, Gene. Okay.
0: Right. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye.
2: Talk to you again soon. Wow, that next movie sounds great. A I Mongol know. Derby type movie.
0: Man. Don't you love hearing these old stories, though, about these movies that are iconic that you didn't know that what a freaking mess it was in the whole making of the whole thing?
2: <laughs> um, You know what is amazing to me, and you said it on the last time, is how much these screenwriters, you think they write it and they just hand it off. But no, they're there every single day writing and rewriting and continue like tearing off pages and hot off the press. <laughs> well, in this case, Carol
0: Ballard didn't even have a screen a script when he showed up it's like there was no screenplay it's like That's hired all the actors and we knew we we're going to need these people but we'll figure it out when we get there it doesn't happen it costs like a million dollars a minute when you got all these people sitting around doing nothing and mickey rooney was known to be a little bit grumpy he that must have been I can't even imagine Hey, <laughs> jamie, jamie you told us something too that i didn't know tell us that Little tidbits. Yeah. Tribute. So,
3: well,
1: b- before I tell you that tidbit, I actually want to flesh out something behind the scenes for the listeners. Usually, when you guys have a guest on, it's a pretty clear line between whether Glenn's going to lead the, the, the interview or Jamie's going to do it. Whose camp is this interview going to live in? Not with this one. I have never in all of my producing ever seen two people fight more over, who in a good way, who is going to ask the question. No, it's me. Mina. I was no, Mina, leading and she interrupted. You,
0: <laughs> right.
1: you guys are, were both on it. But my it was so funny. She's fascinating. The extra, the extra little tidbit, I learned this years and years ago, Walt Disney actually met Mickey Rooney when Mickey was a little boy, and he loved him so much, that's who he named Mickey Mouse after. Mickey Rooney.
2: No way.
0: I didn't know that.
2: Huh. Is that right? <laughs> There's
1: footage of Walt Disney sitting there with meeting Mickey Rooney with Mickey Rooney sitting on his lap, and that's who he named his mouse after.
2: I am going to Google right now, and I am going
0: to... <laughs> I didn't know that. That's fascinating. <laughs> I can see the resemblance, though. Um, I can say that now. He's not around. (laughs) He's not around to uh, question it.
2: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Walt Disney originally called his creation Mortimer. It was his wife, Lillian, who persuaded him to change it to Mickey Mouse. American actor Mickey Rooney has claimed that the Mickey Mouse was, in fact, named after himself following meeting Walt Disney. So the only person... Who says that it was named after Mickey Rooney <laughs> is Mickey Rooney. Is Mickey Rooney? <laughs>
0: you, and I can see him doing that. Apparently, as we said, he's going to be a little bit. Uh, he was the most important room uh, person in the room as far as Mickey Rooney was concerned. Um, but I also thought it was fascinating. The Steven Spielberg thing. The fact that Steven Spielberg was really liked the Black Stallion kind of surprised me, too. I don't know why, it just didn't seem like his kind of movie, but I guess maybe movie makers are guy. movie makers.
2: Yeah, maybe he's a horse guy, we don't know. Yeah. We don't know. Well, it was really good. I'm glad that we had her on, that's really, it. it's just really interesting to talk to the people behind the scenes of movies and kind of give you a real idea of what the actual thing looks like, you And know? so far,
0: the screenwriters we have, uh, have had on have been delightful. So there you yeah. go. I'm sh- True. So thank you, Jennifer, again, for for booking that one. Good job. She still hasn't gotten Carrie Underwood, but we're working on that.
2: You know what? It's like (laughs) John Fusco, Carrie Underwood, Gene Rosenberg. All the names that go in the same name.
0: They're all the same thing. All right. It all comes back to Carrie Underwood. Now let's uh, do a training tip. We have a little bit of time.
2: Yes, let me find the question. You threw it at me here. Hold on. Um, it is a question that was on the auditor's page. Okay. Carrie Jo posted any training tips to get our horse more accepting of needles. In the year we've had him, we've had three experiences with needles and only one went well. The vaccinations went well as they were quick and done by our instructor, who my horse trusts. But the blood draw to check the blood work and the sedation for the teeth was horrible. So IV shots are a disaster. Since those require more precision and therefore time, I think it gives them time to think and act out, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to be that girl with that horse. Uh, I have been that girl with that horse. Okay. Same thing that I talked to you guys about earlier is you make it very, very small. Um, somebody said you blindfold all this. I, I, I wouldn't suggest that because that some, some horses, when they're blindfolded, really the fight or flight, when you take away flight, you get fight. So, careful with that. Um, somebody says to distract with a bucket of feed. The only problem with the bucket of feed is if you're trying to stick a needle in the vein, they're moving around and eating a lot. So, here's the thing. It's it's not just the needle. The, the actual only part that really hurts is the needle going through poof, the skin. Once it's in, it's in. Just, so like, with have to, with just like with us. Same with yeah. us. Just like with us. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't like it when they push it in. I <laughs> hate <laughs> But my point is, for the horse, it's a needle going in. Once it's in, it's a giant muscle or a giant vein. The actual when you close off the vein, well, you know how your vet will hold the neck yeah. to, to see if like an IV shot
0: it or something. Yeah,
2: they, they just hold yeah. it off, and that because the blood is coming back from the brain, they're going. If you want to get into the anatomy, there's two vessels, capsules of blood traveling. One is underneath inside the neck and it goes from the heart to the brain. And then the one that they're sticking needles into goes from the brain back down to the heart to get re oxygenated. So if there's ever like super red blood and it's shooting out of that, you're in the artery, pull out and go to the vein when they close off the vein and they're kind of feeling, you know, to feel if they can feel the the thing that's because that vein gets the size of a garden hose. Okay, when they're sticking a needle in it. So it is not as difficult to hit that vein as you think. So it doesn't require a ton and ton and ton of time. If your horse is fractious, they'll want to stick the needle going downwards because then they know they won't hit the artery upwards and you could possibly go into the artery. And if you give meds into the artery, into the vein, like say banamine, it'll make the horse flip over and like convulse. So anyway you're going to, they're going to close off the vein, put the needle in, uh, and then draw back and all this stuff. So it's just a needle going in. So what you have to do is eliminate the anxiety. Let's take, let's take giving a shot and then the muscle, okay. Into the neck, the vet walks up to the horse with the needle in hand, pinches the skin on the neck, plops it in there. And the horse, you know, once they've had it done a couple times, they start to understand that the vet coming up and grabbing onto the neck or closing off the vessel. Uh, those are two things that are going to create massive anxiety for your horse. So you need to get your vet. And I, t- I tell every vet this, I'm like, Hey, try this. When you have a horse that doesn't like needles or a needle. Pink has been shot up so many times since this whole having the baby thing that now she's getting anxiety. So what we do is you go up to the horse Say you've got the needle in your right hand and you're going to put a a shot into the, we'll go into the muscle. Walk up to the horse with the shot, have somebody holding it, put your hand on the neck and walk away. Walk up to the horse, put your hand on the neck with the needle in your hand, right hand and then touch it with the left hand, put your hand on the neck. They're going to scoot away, scoot away, scoot away. Carrie, your horse is going to, oh my God, oh my God. And then walk away. In Carrie's situation, you walk up and close off the vein with your left hand having the needle in your right hand and then let it go and walk away and do that 10 times and then go up to the horse's neck. If you're giving it a muscle shot and pinch the skin and then let it go and walk away and do that 10 to 20 times until the horse doesn't care. When you walk up and you pinch the skin and they're moving around, they're moving around, moving around. They finally stop, let it go and walk away. So it's just about using approach and retreat, walk up to the horse, pinch the skin on the neck, Tap it with your right hand, your other hand, Pat, pat, bap, pat, where you would give the shot. Let it go and walk away. And if you do that 50 times, your horse by the 50th time does not care. Walk up, plop the shot in. It's weird. They won't even notice because you do it quick. They don't notice. It's just the approach and the stress and the anxiety. You know, when you get a shot, sit in the chair roll your sleeve up They put the little thing around your arm, make your vessels pop out and you're like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Well, the prick is only and it's done, but it's the buildup and the anxiety. So any way that you can relieve the anxiety, remove the anxiety carry to getting that shot walk it. do it a hundred times yourself before your vet comes. I do like to tell vets how to do this and to teach them because they're the ones that are in for horses that don't like shots. They're the ones that are going to get hurt. So if you teach, show your vet, Hey, I want you to walk up to the horse, close off the vein, tap the neck, you know, and just walk away 10 times in the 11th time, the horse will be perfect. Otherwise you walk up to it and they're like, I don't want to do all that. That takes too long. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Well, you want to talk about taking too long? Try to get a needle in this horse's vein and we'll see how long that takes you and who gets hurt at the end of it. Right. Cause it ain't going to be the horse. <laughs> <laughs> so careful. Teach them that don't twitch them. Don't make it horrible. Just make it to where they do. You do it so many times that it's just not a big deal. And then you can just plop the needle in and don't And the thing is like when you are like, finally, you're like walk up 10 times, no problem. On the 11th time, you're like, okay, I'm going to get a shot this time. I'm going to get a shot this time. And then you build up anxiety and you're having to do it. Guess who senses that anxiety? The horse. So just be normal. Just walk up, but done. Does that make sense, Glenn?
0: You know what's funny about all of this? We've had Monty on so many times over the years on the different shows that when you were describing that, I heard it in Monty's voice.
2: <laughs> really? <laughs> well, that's a that's a nice compliment because it <laughs> was
0: meant to be a nice I, compliment.
2: I feel like um you know, and isn't it
0: true though? And I also was thinking as you were describing that, it's the same thing he told you about trailering and everything else. There's consistency through this horse training thing. Mm-hmm. Y- he said, with the trailer, walk them in, feed them, walk them out, walk them in, feed him the next day, walk them out. It's, c- it's, it's, one repetition. foot in, one foot out, one repetition. foot in, one foot out, right. two foot
2: in, two foot out. And you make everything, you, you make the easy thing. Easy. And if they choose the hard way to freak out, well, nothing's going to happen. You just like, like, say you walk up to the horse and they're like, Oh my God, you've got a needle. And then just wait. And when they go, okay, nothing's happening. Then you walk away. And it's just the same, it's the same thing. It's like I've been given this little gift of magic of figuring out how to do stuff. I don't think I've ever asked, I know I've never asked Monty about the needle thing, but it's, it's, the concept is the same. The concept is you got to just do the work Yep, and break it down, do the work, get it done and then you'll be fine.
0: Same thing with, uh, you know, syringes full of stuff. Scooter did not like getting stuff squirted in his mouth at all. So Jennifer every day would put oh, a little God, what she that... called sweet juice in there. I, I, you know, I don't know what it was. Probably a little molasses and water. And every day when uh, she'd bring him in or go out to feed him, she'd squirt some sweet juice in there. Well, now he will attack you for a, it. Doesn't matter what's in that syringe; mm-hmm. he doesn't yeah. care. <laughs>
2: well, and and there's there's even building up to be unable to put the sweet juice in the horse's mouth or anything, applesauce, syrup, whatever you're going to do. The horse gets anxiety when you come up to put something in their mouth. So think about how can I make this simpler? You're holding on to the horse. If you go to stick something in the side of their mouth, they're going to freak out. So put your hand there and stick a finger in real quick. They're going to, Oh my God. Oh, okay. Then you're going to put your finger in again. And I can put my, I just, my finger into the corner of their mouth. Beep, beep, yeah,
0: yeah. Be careful where beep, you put the beep, beep. finger, by the way, depending on your horse. Well,
2: you know, on the side is probably y'all a better should bet. know Where there's no teeth, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm not doing it in the front teeth and in the incisors, but just on the I side, I just of wanted mouth, to just clarify that for in. my
0: liability purposes.
2: <laughs> and <laughs> then all of a sudden, you can just plop the warmer in there. And then I mean, what, huh? Okay, sounds good, whatever. This is gross, but too bad, it's done.
0: Well, that is very cool. Uh, thank you so much, Jamie. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. We hope you enjoyed Now, what did we learn today, kids?
2: Um, I learned that a lot of the um, Black Stallion was written on the fly and or not written at all. That was interesting.
0: What did you learn? I learned that you have to be careful what you feed mares or th- you'll be in trouble. Um, Give as, them
2: more food, yeah. When right. they're when they're breastfeeding, I learned their hearts, that
0: when women stuff. are breastfeeding, stay away altogether because uh, they're grumpy. Call. Yeah, that's what that's I, I learned call. that from you, uh, Jamie. What did you learn today?
1: <laughs> I learned through our behind the scenes chat where John Williams
3: lives. Oh,
0: now you're gonna be stalking him. me, <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> maybe, maybe not. <laughs> His wife is lovely, by the way.
0: And I learned that I am also much older than the both of you.
2: I was gonna say we learned today Glenn (laughs) is 127 years old.
0: Exactly. Please (laughs) tell me that you guys, speaking of Disney, watch the wonderful world of Disney on Sunday nights. No. It was a thing. Glenn is now
2: 187 years old. Cricket. (laughs) Cricket.
0: Damn you both. All right, that's it. Tomorrow <laughs> will be the grooming episode uh, with Leave Good of Professional Grooms. They'll be here tomorrow. And then Fridays, really bad ads. We're giving away our prize. We're giving away the boots this week. So get your ads in to Jennifer at horseradionetwork.com. Get them in by noontime on Thursday. So noontime on Thursday. Get those ads in to be eligible to win the prize on Friday. That's it, everybody. We'll see y'all tomorrow.
2: Spay Neutergeld, everybody.